That was the question. I, I wanted to sing it just a couple of times so you wouldn't forget it. That's the question. What a powerful question it was. Powerful. It's just like, what? They didn't, it wasn't about religion. It wasn't about anything else. They'd say stuff like, yeah, I met him at last night at the campfire. You need to come. And uh, I still remember this guy in Colorado. He had maybe the longest hair I've ever seen on a guy. And he was passing out Jesus magazines. And he just looked at me. And I could see Jesus in his eyes. And it was just life-changing. And um, Pastor Tim asked me if I would speak and encourage you on how that we have been all called and that the Lord encounters us with his presence so that we will be his witnesses. We all have this calling. We really, every Christian has two callings besides whatever else ministry the Lord gives them, but we all have this calling. Our first calling is to be a priest unto God. We are a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Now, some of us, because of our background and particular areas of Christendom, that whole priest thing is a little confusing to us, but God intends for every believer to be a priest, which simply means you minister to the Lord. That's your first calling, to worship him, to pray, to intercede, to give your heart to him and try to be sensitive, to be able to ask him to do what he wants to do. He causes us to know what his will is, his heart is, and his word. And then he desires somebody on earth to say, that's what we want. We want you to do that. He's given the earth to men. And so he needs men and women on earth to say, Lord, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We want you to have your way. So we minister to the Lord. That's our first calling. The second calling, and the one we're going to focus in on today, is to be a witness to the world, to bear our witness, to bear our testimony to the world. And our testimony has to do with how the Lord has impacted and countered our life, how we have come to know him, how he has forgiven us of our sins, and what has happened to us. In Acts 1.8, the Lord Jesus, the last thing he said before he went up to heaven to his disciples, what he said, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me, witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Witnesses to me. That's our witness to talk about him. And when it's not our politics, I'll wait for the amen. I know, we're passionate about stuff. But when we go to the world who doesn't know Jesus, we witness to him. It's about him. And we tell them what the Lord has done for us. And we always go, when we go to the world, we don't go as Holy Joes. I mean, I live about a half, half a mile up the road from where I grew up. And when I go down there, I see guys I knew back in the day. I can't go down there as Pastor Bill, the holy, most reverend, right reverend, whatever I am, you know. I can't do that. It's just Bill. But thankfully, God's grace has worked in my life so that now I actually have an audience with him. I I shared the gospel with a lot of them, and they kind of just looked at me and said, well, we'll just see how long this lasts. 
Well, thank God it's lasted. And so now it's a little bit different. I have a little bit better platform. And a lot of them ask me to do their parents' funerals and stuff like that because they don't know anybody else to ask. But, you know, we go to the world, doesn't matter. Maybe you grew up in church all of your life, but we go to the world as recipients of mercy and grace. Let me tell you, I, I know what it's like to be forgiven. I, my sins have been washed away. I, I, Jesus came into my, I asked him to come in and he came in. And we tell people that. And that's our witness. And we need to be stirred. It is powerful. We don't do it arrogantly. We don't do it, you know, uh, in a way that, well, you know, we try to put people down or we come across any other way. But we just simply testify to what we have seen and heard. Matthew 24, 14 says, And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all nations. And then the end will come. It also says in Acts 2.39, for the promise to you, and this is uh, Peter talking about the Holy Spirit, the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. So he's talking about the promise of the Holy Spirit, which is a promise of empowerment to be able to witness. And so if we get the promise of the Holy Spirit, then the calling is still the same Today, too, we're called to be witnesses. Now, I've actually appreciated preparing this message because I've I've been talking to myself a lot and say, you need need to to listen to this guy Sunday. Well, I'll be there, so I hope I will. So anyway, uh, but I mean, we need to stir ourselves up a little bit. I I was up here, and it's been been too long, maybe a year or two ago, and Pastor uh, was talking to one of the waitresses we went out to eat, Pastor Tim, and he said, I've just been trying to figure out ways to witness more, you know? We get, you know, we hang around with all lovely church people with us is great but we have to say lord help me to bear this light out into the world help me to 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 run into people and to have an opportunity to share jesus with them and i and that's what we really want to talk about a little bit just growing in our desire to do this a definition of the witness in, in a legal sense is someone who has knowledge about a matter whether they have sensed it now that doesn't mean like they're well wait a minute i'm feeling something here no, it, it sensed it means through your senses you've seen it or you've heard it. That's what that means. Uh, it is, uh, uh, they've sensed it or are testifying on uh, another's witness. And they, you know, they could say, well, uh, he told me he pushed her off the bridge. I heard him. Sorry about that. I should have picked another witness. But uh, okay, forget that word picture. You know, she, she'll be all right. She'll be all right. Uh, uh, so, but, you know, if, if someone tells you something that, you know, you can say, well, they told me that. And it, it has authority in court. It, there, it, you can bear witness to things like that. So you do that um, and you either do it out of compulsion. They can, they can say you've got to bear witness. You've got to tell your story or you can do it voluntarily. But we provide testimony or evidence oral or, or written. The Bible is a written testimony it is a written witness and it actually says that that God has given us the witness or the testimony of his son in this book the whole thing is a testimony and it's primarily filled with people who encountered the living God and their story is in here and what he told them what he said to them how he directed him what they did what he did for them it's in this book and it is our testimony and so we have believed the testimony 
And some people say, you know, well, you know, I don't know whether I believe you. Well, you know, you've got to call Peter and John, liar, Matthew, Mark and Luke and Ezekiel and Isaiah. And you can go through the whole book and say, we've all given our testimony. That's a lot of people that say to, to say they're not telling the truth. And then we look at their lives and we see that God has interacted in their lives and has verified his truth in their life. Additionally, we realize that God has called us to this testimony, and then oftentimes we actually have the opportunity to take someone's hand, having borne witness to the Lord, and and lead them to Christ. Uh, In 2 Corinthians 5.19, it says that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. So we go to others and say, Lord, the Lord forgave me. He came into my life. He, he, I called on him and, and he, he, he responded. He answered. And he'll do the same thing for you. And we can say, can, you know, it's because people are not right with God and they're, they're alienated and, and uh, you know, people are mad at God and, and uh, they got all kinds of issues with God. And yet God is coming after them and saying, you know, I'm the one that's sinned against, but I, wanna, I want us to be restored. I want us to be healed. I want us. He, you know, that's the first soul winner in the Bible was, was God the Father who went looking for Adam and Eve. He went after them. They had sinned, but he went after them directly. But, but we get to share the word of reconciliation and say, this is the gospel. This is the good news. Jesus wants uh, to forgive you and for you to be restored to the Father and for you to find out the very purpose of your existence, which is to ultimately be filled with the glory of God forever and ever and bear witness to his glory and his honor. Hallelujah for that. So a witness testifies to what he has seen and heard and experienced. The apostles had a unique witness to the resurrection. They actually saw the physical body of Jesus after he rose from the dead. They touched him. They ate with him. Now, there was about 500 people, apparently, that saw the Lord Jesus uh, um, appear to all of them at once. But the apostles talked about, you know, that, that we have been called and that Jesus has been raised from the dead. Where are we, whereof we are his witnesses? They had that testimony. I don't have that exact testimony, but I do have one. And I can testify to what I have seen and heard. And I want to encourage you, it is powerful. And this is what I, uh, the enemy wants you to think, you know, oh, your testimony. You know, did, uh, did Frederick Schmidt come here? He's been around here a long time. Do you remember Frederick Schmidt at all? Frederick Schmidt um, was caught up in the Flint tornado when he was a little kid. He got sucked out of his house, and the t- tornado took him and threw him somewhere. He had an out-of-the-body experience. He's floating around over his body. He saw himself laying there. He said, I looked like a human pincushion. I had all this stuff sticking in me. And, and then somehow he went back and he came back around and he came to the Lord. Well, that's a pretty powerful testimony. You know, we call him the tornado man. <laughs> Not all of us have the tornado testimony. You know, we have, but I'll tell you my, my daughter's testimony. My daughter saved from a life of drug addiction. Saved from a life of rebellion and alcohol, getting in trouble, breaking her parents' heart. Because when she was about four years old, 
we are having tent meetings, and she comes walking up to the front of the altar. And I'm thinking, well, she's gotten away. She's escaped. What, you know, what's going on here? You know, so I go, what, Naomi, what are you doing? I've come up here to ask Jesus Christ into my heart. And I had the privilege of praying with her right there to accept Jesus. And she was saved from all that stuff because she never got into any of it. Now, that's some of you. You say, well, you know, people have these testimonies of all this, that, and the other thing. And there's always the tornado man. And, you know, who can trump the tornado man testimony? And, you know, I grew up in church and, you know, and I accepted Jesus as a kid. And, you know, I've been in church all my... Your testimony is just as powerful as the tornado man's. It's your testimony. Nobody can give that testimony. Nobody can tell that story but you. You, Your story is powerful. And so we need to be encouraged that, that that this is what the Lord wants us to do. Now, you know, we can't make people believe, but we can share what we've seen and heard. And we can appeal to them to accept our witness. Now, I, uh, again, I, I, didn't, I don't have Naomi's testimony. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it's, it's the same as far as what I got saved from, but it wasn't the same. I'll let you work through that a minute. I mean, she didn't do all that stuff, but others have. You know, so when I came to Christ, there was a little bit of this. Bill's always been crazy. Now he's really got off the deep end. And there was a little bit of, well, we'll wait and see. I had a guy, one of my dad's friends that I was talking to, and he goes, I'll tell you what. If you still feel the same way about everything and still believe this just like you do, you come and see me in five years, and I'll let you tell me the whole story, and I'll listen to you. The only problem is he, he only lived about four years longer. But... I had to accept that. I did have to accept that. I mean, some of my friends responded, but the majority of them kind of had this, okay. I mean, okay. And I remember looking to the Lord and saying, are they ever, are, is anyone going to listen? Are they going to respond? They, you know, and I, and I, you know I, I just sort of heard a deep whisper in, in about 30 years. I was 19. 30 years, I thought, what do you mean when I'm in a wheelchair? You know, I mean, you know, I mean, I thought, this, how long is this? I don't even know what that's like. 30 years, I've only lived 19. What do I do? But I realized that some people, you got you got you got to walk away a little bit to, to, to learn from them. And I want to talk a little bit about these different areas that we find ourselves in, in witnessing, because uh, we're going to look at someone who is called an evangelist, Philip the Evangelist. And look at his life a little bit and see the different ways he was used to bear witness to the Lord. Uh, Philip was, was one of the seven that was called to wait on tables. So he was a man full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit. He wasn't just given a job to take care of people and that's all he did. But he obviously had a powerful uh, ministry of preaching. He did miracles in the city and all kinds of things. Uh, in Acts 8.5 it says, then, um, see if I got the right verse here. Now, Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. And the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. 
So thankful, thank the Lord, and we'll touch on this a little bit later, but the Holy Spirit does come into our life, and he does anoint us with power so we can bear witness. And so it's not just what we have seen and heard, but he comes to testify. I shared the gospel with a guy I found out later was a distant cousin, and I was talking to him about the Holy Spirit, and I said, do you want to receive the Holy Spirit? I mean, he, he, I asked him to come upon me, and he fell on me the other day. It was powerful. Do you want to see the Holy Spirit? And he goes, well, yeah, I guess I do. I think I do. And he'd already told me he was a believer. So I prayed for him, I laid my head, and this was in his living room, and bang, he hit the floor like a rock. And his girlfriend went into the bathroom and locked the door. <laughs> yeah. So those were the two responses to that. But, but the, the, the bottom line of it was, is suddenly, oh, this isn't just a story, these aren't words, there's power. The Holy Spirit has come to bear his witness and his testimony. So he did that with Philip. Philip went down there. He preached Christ to them and did a lot of miracles down there. And so we have this sort of arena, which I've kind of labeled sort of a, a mass evangelism or a church outreach event where we are participating in an attempt to impact the city. You guys are going to do a serve. You're going to have opportunities to witness and share Christ. Whenever you go out into the world, do something, it gives you a, a platform or a place who can tell what the Lord will do. Uh, that's, that's an exciting thing, but, but we participate in that. Just, you know, I had the privilege, I, I, I hooked my boat to the, the church here when we went down to Peru and uh, did uh, Solo Peru and had a wonderful time of ministry down there. Such an honor, such a joy to see people in this church with their passion to do their thing. And, and the kids were dancing and they did everything. And, and uh, we got to share uh, the gospel with the leadership of schools and principals all over that town. It was an amazing thing. Well, that was, uh, you know, certainly the biggest evangelistic outreach event that I've ever participated in. And there was, there was, it was that's what it was. It was an attempt to change the city. Well, Samaria... Was, was rocked by the ministry of Philip. There was an empowerful context. So we have that arena. And so whenever the church does something, say we're all going to do this together, and that collective thing comes together, there's opportunity for a tremendous witness. What a tremendous witness down in the nation of Peru happened. And what a, what a wonderful thing to do. So there's that kind of evangelism. And we all can participate in that, should participate in that. We might not be, say, you know, I don't know what the next, we're going to go down to Holly. I'm going down to Holly, and I'm going to get the whole town saved. Maybe that'll happen, you know, maybe the Lord will lead you to do that or whatever. But nevertheless, whenever there's a, an outreach to the city, and we do it together, and it, it reaches a lot of people at the same time, that's one of the ways we witness. And we might not be the one in the pulpit, we might not be the one speaking a lot, but we're there to bear witness to the light. Uh, so that's one way we, we give our witness. And so we share our faith that way. Uh, there's another way, um, and it also involves Philip. Philip was right in the middle of that mass revival, people getting saved everywhere, miracles being done. Paul, uh, John and Peter came down and started praying for people to be filled with the Holy Spirit. He'd already baptized a lot of people. And then Philip was led away from that mass event to one person. And I like this, I like this in the Bible because it shows both sides of it. You know, we think, what, what is my sharing with one person going to do? Or, you know, I don't, I'm not Billy Graham. I, you know, who's spoken to just millions of people 
Who can tell what the Lord would do? But he was led by the Holy Spirit. In fact, an angel appeared to him and got him started on his journey. He got out into the desert. And, and you know, there's a lot of symbolism there. You know, when you're going into a desert, it's, it's perilous. You know, you, you march out into a desert, there's trouble. There's any, lots of stuff can happen in a desert. And so, but he went out into the desert. He left this tremendous, God, God is moving. Things are happening. Okay, I want you to go out here in the desert. He didn't even know why he was going out there. He said, you mean there's another big city out in the desert that I'm going to do the same thing at? And I didn't even get into that. He said, then the Spirit of God said, join yourself to that chariot. And specifically led him to one person who was reading the Bible, who God had prepared, and just out loud just said, who can understand this? And Philip says, I'm your man. And so he got up in the chariot. He goes, who's he talking about? Is he talking about himself or whatever? And it says he began at that scripture and began to preach to him Jesus. Again, not culture, not religion, not philosophy. He pointed him to Jesus. So much so, he covered water baptism in him preaching to Jesus because at some point they came along some water. And he said, stop, what's, what's to keep me from being baptized? He said, if you believe in all of your heart that Jesus is the son of God, you may be baptized. And so they go down in the water together. Philip baptizes. He's called the Ethiopian eunuch. They come up out of the water I'm sure the Ethiopian eunuch is rejoicing. And then something that doesn't happen every, at every baptism happened. The Holy Spirit just took Philip and took him down to another city. I'd say Philip was, was a yielded vessel, don't you? I mean, what, what an amazing challenge and say, Lord, if we could just be that sensitive to be led by that and be caught up. I mean, you know, he transported him. So, you know, we're looking for the rapture that's going to take us to heaven. He had a mini rapture. The, 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 the disciples of Elijah thought that's what happened to Elijah. They said, the Lord's taking him up and throwing him up on some mountain, and we better go look for him. And Elijah said, don't go look for him. You're not going to find him. He's not on a mountain. And so, being the obedient people they were, they went and looked for him. You know, so they go look for him and come back. You know what? He's not out there. How about that? You know, but uh, he, he knew he wasn't out there. He'd been caught up to heaven. So, but that doesn't happen all the time. But then we find Philip preaching at another place in another city. And um, let me find it here. Then Philip was found in Azotus. That's where the Holy Spirit took him. And it says, and passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. And then later in the book of Acts, it says, on that day, we who were Paul's companions, kind of shifts over to the ministry of Paul here, departed and came to Caesarea. That's where Philip is. And entered into the house of Philip, the evangelist, who was one of the seven and stayed with him. So we have mass evangelism taking place. We have one-on-one, actually spirit-led, door-open evangelism that takes place. And then we have living in a city, and you got your family and neighbors around you 24-7. And that's a little bit of different kind of evangelism, because now you get into, they're, they're watching you. There, you, your, your life. So some people say, well, we, we don't need to preach it. We need to live, live it's, it, and 
we need to do both. We need to get our mouth open, but we also realize that we have to live it too. We don't want to undo our testimony by saying, well, he says this, but if you watch him or he does that... So that's where our life come is. We want to be faithful and just say, yeah, I, I, you know, and that's why we never get arrogant because we're not, we're, we're a work in process all the way to glory. And so we, we humbly share our faith and say, look, God's still working on me, but this is true. Jesus came into my life and, and he, he, uh, he touched me. And so we have people around us and we have to live before them. And those are, those are, are more difficult people. I wanted to share with you one, once when I, uh, I had one of the, the middle one where just out of the providence of God, God led me to witness to somebody. Um, I got to go to Egypt years ago with, with Pastor Sama uh, Sadiq, and uh, we, we helped sponsor a week to the of pastor's ministry over there, and they did back-to-back weeks, and I went to the week we, we did. Well, you know, I was really looking forward to it because we're going to fly over there, and the first day, we're going to go to the museum, and they had King Tut stuff there, and I was going, oh, this will be great. We'll go in there, and we'll see all the King Tut stuff. So I made the mistake of going through Minneapolis in the winter. So things go wrong in Minneapolis. So, uh, like, it snows a ton, you know. So, anyway, there was a, there was a mess, and really, it, it was a kind of a double. There was a big snow issue, too, but actually, one of the planes, the door broke, and that's why I missed my plane. And I missed my plane that left Minneapolis at 9 o'clock for Amsterdam, and the next one was going out the next night at 9 o'clock. So 24 hours, they did put me up in a hotel. I went to that giant mall, and I just, well, just saw the roller coaster, and I go, okay, this is not King Tut. You know, I mean, this is not going to fill the void. I was still just kind of like, bummer, I miss, I'm going to miss the, the go to King Tut day. So I, I eventually flew over to Amsterdam. Uh, I don't get too sidetracked here, but that was a rough flight. I just I didn't sleep it or anything. And I was going to go into Amsterdam, but when I got there, I was so tired. I mean, the train was like from here to maybe, you know, the overpass out there uh, at the doors of the church. And it just was too far away to go. So I just, uh, I'm... I can't do it. So I tried to go to sleep. That didn't work too well. So I get on the plane, and they had bumped me up to first class. Now, I don't know if you've ever been in first class... But there's a parallel universe going on here, you know. First class is a whole different thing. Especially on this giant plane. You had your own little cubicle. You had a cubicle. A cub- I tried to touch the end of the cubicle with my feet. I couldn't do it. Usually, you know, you're eating your knees for eight hours or something. So I, and I'm in there and I'm going, okay, this is going to do all right. This is fine. And I'm going to get all cuzzled down there, passing me food and all this stuff. And it's going to be great. I'm just going to chill. And this Egyptian businessman who had gold rings on and this expensive suit shined like silk, he says, what do you do? And I said, oh, uh, I'm, 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 I'm on a missions trip. Uh, and I had to kind of phrase it because I wasn't quite sure. You're not allowed to witness. It's illegal to witness to a, a, uh, someone that's in Islam in Egypt when you're there. But I figured I can probably tell him we're not in Egypt yet. And uh, so, so I told him that we're going there and then uh, we're going to support some pastors that are there. And then, and then it was quiet for about a minute. So you are a Christian. 
and then, yeah, I was a Christian, you know, and then, and then, being the spiritual giant that I am, <laughs> I began to discern the leading of the Holy Spirit after I tried to go to sleep twice. And I thought, uh, this might be why I missed my plane. And for three hours, that guy asked me questions about being a Christian and, and what, what's, what's Jesus all about. And I just talked to him and talked to him. That was back when the movie Passion was out. And I told him about the movie. And he said, I would like to see that movie. And so I, I got his address and sent him that. I've, I've never, never touched on it again, but I just witnessed to him for three and a half hours all the way there. And that was by the Lord. That was just, that was one of those God appointments. You know, after I got used to the idea of witnessing for three and a half hours, I did it. You know, but you know, that, that's because I'm, you know, a mighty man of God, just like Philip. Uh, but, you know, God can use all of us. That's a wonderful thing. Even if he's going to listen, idiot, this is why you missed the point. But anyway... But I got with the program eventually. But those are, those are things that God does. And so that was my one-on-one kind of thing that happened that was very unique. But then there's your neighbors that you're around all the time and your family. Your family knows you. And so lots of time they're not immediate, they don't immediately respond to Christ. Sometimes they do, but they don't always. And so you have to, you have to love them. And sometimes you have to stop preaching to them and love them. Once they know, they know. And then you just got to keep praying for them and praying for them. And the seed's been sown and you water it with your life and with prayers. And who can tell what the Lord will do? And so those are three areas that we witness to the Lord in. So um, everyone has a unique story. And I want to come back to this. No one can give your testimony for you. And it is a powerful, powerful testimony. Anything that the Lord has done in your life. And, you know, when you share your testimony, you lay your life out there because people are either going to say, okay, I believe you, or like they did with Paul, you've almost persuaded me, but I think you might be mad. None of us like that think people thinking we're mad. I remember right after I got saved, I went to my friend's house. I'm telling him all about it. And from the other room, I hear this cackling witch-like laughter. I said, still here. Just this... Just heckling, condescending, judging laughter. And then around the corner comes his older sister. And she looked at me with such contempt and disrespect. That's the first time anyone had ever done that. And she just laughed at me. Now, that could happen. It might not go over well. Again, when those people witnessed to me, I'm sure the impression they got was, that guy will never get saved. Because I was offended. I was angry. Disappointed. <laughs> and then just got up and just, you know, just went off. And, but, but, you know, you can imagine what, the, what a plow would testify to if it could tell you what it felt like when it was the first plow that ever went through the, the field. Bang, crash, rocks, roots, everything, you know. But the field's been opened a little bit. And so sometimes we are that first plow, and so it doesn't go over so well, or we don't get a a positive response. But we should not despair. We shouldn't um, not believe. 
I want to share another little testimony with you if I can. Because not only is your testimony about you coming to Christ, but anytime God has touched your life or encountered you or answered a prayer, that's part of your story. You can witness to that. You can share that with people. And uh, some of you may know this, Couple about three years now, I had a heart attack. I didn't know I was having a heart attack, never had a heart attack before. So I thought I had overheated. My wife, fortunately enough, realized it's a bigger deal than that. So I got a ride in the, in the, red, in the red bus. And, uh, and when I got up there, they took, the, uh, they took an EKG and they also took this uh, enzyme test they do because you secrete an enzyme, starts with a P, you probably know it. I always mispronounce it, so I just say the enzyme. Uh, and, and it tells whether you have a heart attack. But they came back and said, well, that doesn't show that you've had a heart attack. So I'm like, I'm all good and everything. But this guy, he talked me into spending the night. He said, if it was me, if it was anybody in my family, he just appealed over and over and over. You need to spend the night. You need and I said, well, I can't because I don't have insurance in this hospital. I got emergencies here, but no. So they, I got another ride. In the, in the red bus up to the other hospital. So they said, we're just going to do this stuff over again to make sure. And they do the blood test and they do the EKG. And, and the lady said, I'm sure you'll just have a little stress test tomorrow. You'll be going home. Everybody's as happy as can be. About 45 minutes later, they come back in. Um, we're going to do another blood test. So they did another blood test and they left. Then the nurse comes in. You know, you might want to call your family. I was glad my dad called his family, called us all in. And then I found out later he didn't make it. And then the nurse comes back in and she goes, we're, we're, we're really worried about you. She said, we gave you the blood test and it was so high we thought something was wrong. We did it again, it's higher. So, you know, you're going right in. As soon as the doctor gets here, we're taking you down. He's going in there and find out what's going on. Well, I did have a heart attack. I did get two stents. But... Backing up from that, we went from everything's cool to Depcom 5, you know. I mean, it was like, uh-oh. This is, and, and I remember I looked up to, to the Lord and I just said, Lord, my times are in your hands, but I ask you for life. And I ask you for a promise. And that was it. And so I'm laying there going, well, maybe it'd be good to read my Bible. So I got my Bible out. I got, you know, a bunch of Bibles in my phone. And I opened it to the next reading. I didn't look for a verse like Linus. You know, he looked for verses in the Bible to support his preconceived ideas. But uh, I wasn't doing that. I just went to the next reading. And it's Psalm 21. And it says, For you meet him with the blessings of goodness. You set a crown of pure gold upon his head. He asked you, for life, and you gave it to him. That's the test. That's a witness. That's a witness. And above that, it says that you gave him the desires of your heart. So suddenly, I, I went from, well, I'm going to be okay. I'm coming through. I just knew with that. It was surreal. I don't know if I've ever had a prayer answered like that. I never, I never knew that was in the Bible. You know, I ask you for life. I, I never knew that. So I was just confident. I was in intensive care for four days. It was, it was quite a roller coaster ride, but I just had confidence through it. I was going to be fine. So much so that my little doctor from Bangladesh, who has a beetle haircut, is the cutest little guy you've ever seen. He comes to my wife, you know, while, and she, he goes, I'm afraid that your husband may be deceived. 
because he does not seem to know you can die from these things. <laughs> so, but, but it was, I just, you know, I just was not worried. I, I mean, I've never, I mean, I, I wouldn't say it was fun, but I was, it was, I was just filled with confidence. I'm coming through. I'm going to make it. It's great. Well, that's a witness. I tell that story as often as I can. I say, oh, you heard I had a heart attack. Let me tell you something. And I try not to be obnoxious about it, but it's hard. You know, I get excited, you know. But, but anything God has answered, the, the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You have a witness. You have a testimony. Who can tell what the Lord will do with it? Don't be afraid to give it. You never know how God will use it. I'll tell you one last story. I had a guy in our church for years, but prior to that, he was not in church. His family got saved. They kept trying to get him to come, get him to come. He was the ninth in the family where his dad was a preacher. He was the baby. He was about 240, and he was the smallest kid in the family. His dad was like six, seven. These were big people, but, but he, he, was, he lived a rough life. And then we heard that at work, he'd stand, while standing in water, working on an on a, a, a electrical panel, he got electrocuted with 220. It knocked him across the room and burnt his eyebrows off. So he's in the hospital. So I go in there, and I, I, you know, I go in there to talk to him a little bit, and I said, Don... Do you know where you'd go if you died? Do you know where you would have gone? He goes, I do. I absolutely do. He said, where? He goes, straight to hell. I said, well, don't you think it's time to accept Jesus? Are you ready? No. I'm not ready. So I left that hospital I can't even win somebody that's been electrocuted and <laughs> thrown across the room and had their facial hair burn off. I can't, I can't even win them to the Lord. Great pastor you are. She. Well, three weeks later, I, I, I wasn't preaching a salvation message or whatever. He came to church. He came walking up in front at the end of the service and I went over and looked at him. He goes, now I'm ready. You know, we can't make people accept Christ. They, and if you're here today and you've never believed in your heart that Jesus is the Son of God, you've never asked him to come in, nobody can do that but you. Nobody can make you do that. You might have had people begging with you, maybe some people trying to pressure you. Nobody can make you do that. It's your decision. It's your response. And I'd like for you to bow your head just here for a minute. And... I don't know, you know, I don't know everybody here, obviously. So I don't know if everyone here is, is, has come to Christ, whether you have prayed and told Jesus that you want him to forgive you and that you believe that he's the son of God. Or it may be, and I'll add this, it may be you've never publicly confessed Jesus. You've never let anyone know that you have done that. But if you've never asked the Lord Jesus into your heart and you've never told him that you believe in him, will you raise your hand here this morning? Is there anyone here that has never done that? Anyone that maybe you've never told anybody you've already done that, but you want to take it 
another step and just confess him publicly here today. Anyone here today? I don't see any hands. But just for time's sake, I just want to touch on this last thing. That Jesus said, you shall receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And just like the early disciples had been believers in Jesus for three years, they, they knew he was the Christ. Peter confessed him, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. He knew who Jesus was. But after the resurrection, Jesus ascended into heaven. He said, wait for the Holy Spirit to come. I just want to encourage you, if you have never received the power of the Holy Spirit in your life, you need to do that. And you do it just the same way that you ask Christ into your heart. You simply tell Jesus, I received the Holy Spirit from you. Jesus is the baptizer. You know, it says of John the Baptist, I think four or five times, that he was a witness to the light. And it says that the one that told me who the Lamb of God is, he said, the one you see the Spirit coming down and descending upon and landing on, that is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. And he says, so I bear witness. I saw the dove come down on Jesus and land on him. He gave his testimony. He gave his witness that Jesus baptizes in the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit can come upon you. Five days after I prayed with my sister to accept Christ, January 5th, 1973, she left town. She was the only Christian I knew. She gave me a book about praising God, which I started doing, and a book about receiving the Holy Spirit, which I started reading. And just like I had prayed with her in my bedroom on January 5th and said, Jesus, come into my heart, this book told me that if I asked Jesus to baptize me in the Holy Spirit, that he would do it. And I did. Nothing happened. I went back to reading my book for about four or five minutes, but I will give you my witness and I will testify to you that the Holy Spirit fell on me. I was so thrilled. I, I, I was reading this book. I was like, what? What? We can have the same Holy Spirit on us that Peter and John and all those guys had, all the prophets that Jesus had on him. We can have that. Who doesn't want that? I want that. And little did I realize how empowering it would be because the Holy Spirit comes down upon you and he says, not only is he risen, but he's glorified and I've seen him and I'm here to give you my witness and empower you to, to tell others the same. And so seek a pastor out here and say, you know, will you pray with me to receive the Holy Spirit? Sometimes we do it in a big service in front, but it doesn't have to be that way. It can just be a one-on-one. Holy Spirit fell on me. There was nobody there but me and the Lord. But, it, but he will respond if you ask him to come upon you. And he will come upon you in power. And he'll help you to win. You might say, well, I'm just so shy and it's just so hard. He, he will help shy people. You'll probably still be shy, but he'll help you. He'll empower you. It's been a joy and an honor to be with you here. Uh, we, we're thrilled to death. We rejoice in what God has done up here over the years. And, and uh, you are an inspiration. So keep on keeping on. Thank you. God bless you.